You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Snippets of Genius podcast. I'm your hostess, Caroline Kay, business and success coach, and I'm delighted to be back with series two. Today, we have the industry legend, Terry Tyrrell, one of the masters of brand and corporate identity, who's going to take us on a whistle-stop tour of his risk-taking, his big, hairy, audacious goals, and the lucky breaks he's had along the way. And we are going to cram 40 years of pivotal moments into just 40 minutes. So that's right, guys, we have got two episodes this time round. Um, first half and second half, there we go. To this day, Terry has not only inspired me, but excited me in what's possible in defining cultures and building and scaling global businesses. I'm really excited for you guys to tune in and hear from his words of wisdom. So Terry, thank you so much for being here. Caroline, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm, I'm delighted to have this opportunity of having a chat with you, which is great. Oh, the pleasure is definitely all mine. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell the listeners just a little bit about how you really do drive the power of brands. What has been happening in those 40 years? Well, that's, you know, my life started when I left art school as a graphic designer. And yeah, it, I, was, I was a graphic designer and I, I started my career, if I can call it that, with actually an amazing guy, FHK Henry. And we never, his first name was Henri, but it's quite hard to say Henri, Henrion. So it's <laughs> Mr. Henry. And he was the sort of father of what we, we later call corporate identity. Okay. And I, I was actually privileged to really have, I guess, the postgraduate training with him. He's an incredible guy. So when you say he was the father, how did he get that name or how did he become known that way? Well, he, he, was, he was a Polish Jew that left Poland at the beginning of the war and okay. set up in the UK as a commercial artist. I mean, it, you know, there were no such things then as designers. He was a commercial artist and he would do posters for different types of organizations, one-off posters and a work of art that would mm -hmm. then be printed and become a piece of commercial art for that oh, company wow. or that organization. So that's how he, he started up. But then uh, companies started to approach him and say, look, uh, what can you do for us? And gradually he started to develop a system. And that's really where, you know, what we now call corporate identity, you know, branding for companies started. And I was lucky enough to work on some amazing organizations like, I mean, believe it or not, before British Airways, BEA. British European Airways. We worked on that. Tate and Lyle, the uh, sugar people, Volkswagen. We, we redesigned the Volkswagen logo. It was an incredible sort of introduction to that world. And that's where I met the guy who was eventually going to be my business partner, a fellow called Sam Sampson, because he, he was also a graphic designer. We both worked with Henry and I was there for about four years. He was there for about five years. We went our separate ways. And then one day he called me up and said, Terry, there's an advertising agency who've just won this big account and they need somebody in there as graphic designers to actually help them work on it and you know maybe the agency would like to set us up in business and surprise surprise they did and they gave us a back room 
in their agency in Old Burlington Street in Mayfair. Literally, it was next to the kitchen and next to the toilet. So we, we, we had this <laughs> tiny room. Just Time the location. Two, yeah, exactly. Just the two of us. And um, the project that the agency were working on, they'd won the account for what was going to become British Gas. But actually, okay. it was when, it was at a time, and I'm, I'm talking 1976, so a long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when all the regional gas companies in the UK were coming together under one umbrella called British Gas Corporation. So okay. one organization and 40 different regional gas companies. And we got the job of designing and creating the original brand for British Gas. The advertising agency did the advertising, and that's what got us going. And we were very cautious. We worked incredibly hard, night and day, just the two of us. And eventually, we hired another designer. So we were up to three. Ten years later, we got to about 30 people. Can I ask you, Terry, were you a business within a business, or were you sort of part of that larger advertising No, it's a good then? question. No, the, the agency allowed us to create our own company, but they took a a pretty major shareholding in in the company, obviously had the faith in us. And so we were in charge and it was our own show, but we were obviously given free rent in the building. Uh, We were allowed to work on our own clients as well. So I was lucky enough to have a few clients that I brought with me from my uh, previous job after I left Henrion, as did Sam. And uh, Sam Sampson and myself literally set up the business. And it was so scary and so frightening (laughs) because we moved from a secure world Mm -hmm. to becoming what you would call nowadays a startup. But we we didn't use those words then. It was just two blokes in a room trying to, you know, make a living. And luckily by then, Sam was married, but I I wasn't. So it wasn't such a big risk for me because I didn't have dependents or anything like that. So it was worth taking the risk. And that was the start. And then 10 years later, in 1986, we were up to about 30 people. And we met uh, this chap who had moved from Saatchi and Saatchi, an advertising agency, and was going to start up his own organization and acquire businesses. And his name was Martin Sorrell. It's a familiar name. (laughs) Yeah, familiar name. And we were the fourth company that he acquired. So before any of the big ad agencies, etc, etc. And we we were called Samson Tyrrell. And, you know, we, we decided that we would continue with that name because it's still the two of us, although we'd got about 30 people. But being part of WPP really enabled us to grow and invest in the business. How did you find that opportunity or did the opportunity find you? <laughs> I'd love to say that's the truth, but it wasn't actually. <laughs> it, it was he, he, had a, he had a couple of stockbroker scouts who were looking out for companies to buy. I mean, I'm putting this rather bluntly. We, we'd had a pretty good track record and were making good profits over the 10 years that we'd got going. And he could see that obviously we were ambitious. We'd done well in 10 years. We'd made good margins. So this particular stockbroker put our name forward. And then we we met with, with Martin. And in fact, it took about a year for us to sort of be convinced that he would allow us to to carry on basically as we were, which he did. And of course, with his backing, we were able to develop uh, the business even further. And we went through a period of sort of ups and downs because when you have started a business and you are in control and then you're trying to scale that business up, you have to start letting go at some point. You have to start getting people in to help you run the business. Because remember, we were just a couple of graphic designers. We were, we had no skills in, in running a business at all. But when you suddenly got 30 people and that's gone up to 50 people and that goes up to 100 people, 
you can't do that all on your own. So, you know, the, the lesson for any startup is you will get to a tipping point where if you want to grow, you're going to have to get people to help you to do that. I think it's so interesting that you sort of, like you say, two guys working together, doing your yeah. thing, and suddenly you've got 30 people around you. I mean, how did you manage that, navigate that growth in those early days? That's that's a great question. And when we got to 30, we were still a family. I mean, we all knew each other. We knew each other socially as well, because, you know, what, what we did is we hired good people, really good people. Our, our view was we didn't want to be bosses. We just wanted to be... A, ne- a small group of people that got on with one another, admired each other, and were a team. And we used to meet every Friday. We'd go down the pub, et cetera, et cetera. And it was only in the UK. But then after WPP, we started to acquire businesses in Europe and, and in other parts of the world. And, and, and to do that and control it, you can't do that yourself. So we we had to start hiring people that were much cleverer than us, who were actually much more experienced than us, and actually who we had to pay a lot more than we were uh, even paying ourselves to run the business. Wow. And you know, over, over the years, we had several different CEOs until the point where we decided that we didn't want to, we didn't want to be famous ourselves. We wanted the company and the people to be famous. So we dropped our names. Uh, we we, oh, we right. did wow that's a big decision yeah. there and it, yeah did it take a lot of work to build up to that or did it feel kind of more of a natural well, next step for you you know caroline sam and i weren't very good at you know being sort of in front of the media and all that sort of stuff and we we didn't have big how can I put it without sunny arrogant we didn't have big sort of uh, egos i guess and we wanted we wanted the people we worked with and our team to be the heroes of the business, not us. So we decided we would not promulgate the cult of the individual. And so we dropped our names and we actually went through two phases of name changes. One was we, after we dropped Samsung Tour, we became Enterprise IG, which sounds a bit like a car company. <laughs> and for, for I, I mean, the story behind that is ridiculous because we, we were teaming up with some people in the States, a, a, another agency that was part of WPP, to do a big pitch. And we had to appear to be joined up. We'd hardly met these other people. Okay. So wow. we, we, we decided that we would do some business cards with this name on it, Enterprise IG, because it sort of sounded, you know, enterprising. And it was just an <laughs> awful piece of branding, to be honest. And But we pitched for this big job. We didn't get it because it was obvious we hardly knew each other. But we went on to join up after that and become one organization with these these guys in the States. And soon after that, a few a few years after that, we decided that we wanted to be, you know, up there in the top of the alphabet. So, and we wanted, if we could, to have the word brand in our name. And okay. we found out that WPP had a dormant company, a company they'd acquired, that was called Brand Union. And that was run by uh, a couple of great guys who eventually became part of our organization, Glenn Tutsell and Dave Brown. And they integrated into our business amazingly. And we were allowed to take on the name Brand Union. And, you know, that, I guess, became a lot easier to, for us because we, <laughs> we had brand in our name. Um, as opposed to, <laughs> you got your wish. Put yeah, that intention exactly. out there. We got, and... <laughs> we got our wish. Um, and... Uh, you know, we were able from that point to grow to a point where we became something like 500 people in 23 wow. offices around the world. I became chairman. I mean, that is just a huge yeah. story of, of scaling and, 
you know, going global and integrating with other businesses. There's so much that's happened there. And one of the things I picked up on right at the beginning was how you talked about how you wanted to grow that business in those early days, working with like-minded people yeah. you respected, admired, and bringing them together and all going down the pub on Friday and, and having a nice time and enjoying the journey and the ride. And that's so connects with how I feel about building my own business. Many entrepreneurs do. They don't want to have that big corporate machine, but lo and behold, build something brilliant <laughs> at the beginning. It can scale and become part of one of the biggest global advertising agencies in yeah. the world. And I suppose the question is, how did you stay on track in terms of building a great business and really building one that, that meant to you what it is to build yeah. a great business? You know, everybody has a lucky break, uh, and we were lucky enough to have some great breaks in terms of the clients we work for, because at the end of the day, your clients actually become the things that you become famous for. Now, it's easy to have fame in a week, but to keep fame growing and going over time is really, really hard. And I think what 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 did it for us was a recognition that, you know, if we could try and build an organization that had people in it that all admired one another and inspired one another. I mean, I'm not very good at inspiring, nor was Sam. I don't like the word very much because it sounds like, you know, follow me to the top of the hill, you know, and, and, and get behind me, guys. Well, that's not how we did it. We did it by nurturing people, caring for people deeply and building a culture through our values. And, and our values were very simple. And they, they were the values that actually led us forward. And they were gutsy grounded and curious and we would hire oh, people that were gutsy grounded and curious and you know that's sort of how we did it and we sort of knew when we met somebody who was good at what they did and normally they were actually better than us if I have to say I mean I thought I was a good designer but when I met some of the people who eventually joined us they were a hell of a lot better than me or dare I say Sam as well and, and that's really what we did we made them the heroes of our business I was quite good with clients and so I would try and build strong relationships with clients but we relied heavily obviously on, on the people and we built a strong culture and you know I, I do quite a lot of work now helping organizations go through brand-led culture change and what I've learned is that strong cultures equal strong businesses I mean there's a lot of data out there that shows that so you know my advice to anybody who's trying to sort of build a business build the culture first you know start from the inside and work out don't work from the outside in and that's brilliant advice well Terry. you know it's it's that. there's a guy two guys I really admired who wrote a book back in 19 what was it 1994 or 74 actually I think it was called uh, built to last and it was a book written by two Stanford professors Collins and Porras and they they examined companies that had survived the ups and downs of time. And what they found was these companies, which were massively successful, when compared with others that didn't make it, they had a deep-rooted belief system. And they had what they called BHAGs. Now, I didn't know what a BHAG was. But <laughs> I think I you know. know. <laughs> well, everybody knows because it's famous. But, you know, they had big, hairy, audacious goals. And they were prepared to take risks. And we, we sort of were – I was naturally curious, uh, but quite not very – I was quite risk-averse. Sam was 
not risk averse and we're prepared to actually do things differently and indeed some of the people that we came that came on board to run our businesses people like dave allen and john mathers and patrick smith that were all all ceos in their time with us they took those risks for us as well yeah. i mean i'll never forget one of the hairiest things i ever did was when we were just just beginning to get known we said to each other what could we do to really get our name out there right how, how can we compete with those big agencies so what we did we took advertising space in the economist and in all the leading european in-flight magazines can you imagine this a brand agency spending we spent a fortune on this and the ad said don't waste your money on corporate identity now for a brand agency to say don't they, you know, I think it got people to ask the question, what's this all about? Why would they say yeah, that? Why, why would they say that? <laughs> and in the corner of the ad, this is going back before the days of digital, you could cut a coupon out. And if you sent the coupon off, you got, you got a, a book in the post. And the book was all about why you should invest in corporate identity, of course. But we were getting 250 coupons a week from people who'd read the the economists, who obviously the potential clients we wanted to speak to, and he, who were reading in flight magazines and traveling around the world. And we made so much new business out of that. And it was one of the riskiest financially things that we ever did. But it just shows you, if you will take that sort of risk, if you're bold enough to take those sorts of risks, it will pay dividends for you. Although it's pretty scary when it's your money and your company that's trying to do it. I think you're being quite humble there because I think you also had a brilliant idea, <laughs> which was a really effective marketing well, strategy sort of did, yeah. that you could yeah. get out there and hook them in. <laughs> and I think a lot of a lot of times people say, oh, when shall I invest in advertising? And is it the right time? And I think if you've got the right message yeah. and you've got the right way of communicating, then get that message out there to the masses is the right way to go. But perhaps if you hadn't tested that message, then yeah, I would say that would have been a risky move. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, we were, luckily we got it right. So... Uh, yeah, that's why I absolutely. Said, you, know, you get some breaks sometimes, which is great. So you know, you've talked about some of the good fortune you've had along your journey. Yeah. If you could go back and give yourself, your younger self, some advice, what would you uh, say? Well, I guess I would say take more risks. I, I think, if I'm quite honest with with you, Caroline, Sam and I, did, you know, we were humble graphic designers. We we weren't used to really spending money and taking risks, but we were lucky enough to have people who would actually be prepared to come out and do that uh, and work with us. So if I was thinking back to those days, I think for the first 10 years, we really were ultra, ultra cautious. And, and it was only really when we started to spread our wings a little bit and get people uh, around us who could go with us and take the risk with us that, and WPP obviously were able to do that. That made a hell of a difference. And the other thing I wish I'd done earlier would start my own business earlier. And it was only that opportunity that that gave us, the agency gave us to to start the business. That was the trigger that allowed us to do it. But I would have liked to have done it, you know, five years earlier if I could. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But I think good for anyone sitting on the fence wondering if it's now's the time. It's don't wait till later. Don't wait till later. Get on with it. Get on with it. And look, if, if you fail, you fail, right? Yeah. Don't take such a risk that it's going to wipe you out. But but face the prospect of failure in the face. And, you know, that's what we did. And we, we had lots and lots of failures over time. But, you know, we learned that failure is the mother of success. Make sure you come back next week to hear part two of Terry Tyrrell and how the power of brands can fuel your business. 
as always thanks for listening to snippets of genius if you enjoyed this episode and would like to help other people to find it too i would really appreciate you taking a moment to rate and leave a review if you know someone who wants to start or scale their business why not share it with them too to find out more on how i help people to start and scale visit www.carolineK.co. that's www.carolineKay.co. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.